Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we got a real special one for you. We're talking about Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, his look back at his own life, his family life, as well as getting into filmmaking. And for this special super episode, I've got six filmmakers joining me. I have David Mikor, Chris Johnson, Joe Black, Paul Hibbert, Chris Cranock, and Michael Keane. We have a very varied group of conversations here, uh, running the gamut from loved it to hated it, love Spielberg to thinking he's, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it, it makes for some really interesting stuff, and I think we get into some great puzzle pieces as well as just talking to some filmmakers about, you know, how they work and what they do. And uh, that's what we do here on the show, right? So, uh, yeah, we got a great conversation coming up. Six of them, actually. And uh, before we get to it, I got to, of course, as always, tell you to subscribe, follow, all that stuff. You know what? We'll save it for after the show because more importantly, this episode will be hitting the Piecing It Together feed on December 2nd, Friday, December 2nd. and. Today is also the pre-order release date of my new album, More Content, and it also happens to be Bandcamp Friday, which means that if you're listening to this today and you like what I do and you like the songs that I play at the end of the episodes and you have heard my music and like it and want to check out my new album, the best way you could do that is picking it up today. There's a limited edition CD, and if you buy it today on the pre-order date, uh, Bandcamp takes no cut of that. So today is the best day to do it. Uh, plus, you know, it's release day. So, and the album will be out on December 30th for everyone to hear and, uh, you know, all that stream and all that stuff. But, uh, it's available now. I will be shipping immediately as soon as the, uh, pre-order starts. I will start shipping these things out because I did just get the CDs in and they look amazing and sound amazing and i'm so excited for everyone to hear them so uh yeah check it out davidrosen.bandcamp.com you'll of course see links from me on social media too as well as in the show notes so there's that let's talk about the fablemans all right we've got david mike back on the podcast to talk the fablemans david how's it going hello hello thank you for having me yeah, absolutely. You know, this episode, I'm having all filmmakers, and how could I do that without mm. having the filmmaker that I first did music mm. for, my first collaborator in this world of 
making movies, all this crazy stuff. Oh, I love that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, this Always was a that. special one. Yeah. I, I, I know from talking to you over the years back when we first collaborated and then becoming friends and all that. I know you love Spielberg. I, I know oh, you're yeah. a huge Spielberg head. Was this movie something that was like really exciting to you to see the guy tell his story? Yeah, this was, I mean, this was so highly anticipated and just a dream come true because it essentially, I felt like I was watching like the story of my childhood, mm-hmm. um, you know, watching it. It was like, wow, a kid making movies while his parents are going through a divorce and, <laughs> you know, and like the mom is like, you know, totally nuts. And, uh, and he <laughs> connects with her a lot and he gets a lot of his creative drive from her. And it was like, <gasps> It was like watching my own life story. So, um, but also just to be such a huge lifelong fan of Spielberg and, and his work. And then to see this piece, uh, gosh, what a treat, such a treat for us. Yeah. And I thought like, oh, well, I'm going to get it way more than anyone else because I can connect with it so much. But after watching it, I was like, anyone can connect with this you know you didn't have to grow up making movies or whatever like it's uh it's a it's a really good it hits home on a lot of levels yeah well and and that's why spielberg is spielberg i mean he connects with freaking everybody anybody sitting in that audience feels like he's talking to them even if maybe they never made a movie or worked in movies in any way maybe if they didn't go through the the family stuff just it's a movie that's going to speak to you in some way shape or form and that's mm-hmm. why he's he's the best. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like we're getting a lot. Maybe this will come up, you know, in, in some of your puzzle pieces. Maybe it'll come up in some of the other people I'm talking to's puzzle pieces. But we're getting a lot of these more like introspective, you know, filmmakers looking back at their, you know, their youth or their, uh, you know, maybe not specifically in the way that Spielberg's doing here with the Fablemans, but at least looking at what it was like growing up for them and putting that on screen. And I, I think it's, you know, it's an exciting trend, especially because we've lived with these filmmakers for so long. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's just such an honest uh, portrayal to like uh, for him to, to dive into his own stuff and to present that to us. Uh, I mean, you can't ask for anything more uh, from, yeah. from a filmmaker, from an artist, for, whoever you know and god it was so cool and i actually got to go to uh an early screening of it out here in la with a q a with spielberg and oh, with nice. uh, and with the co-writer uh tony kushner and that was such a gift i couldn't even believe i was sitting there and to hear spielberg talk about it how it was created how it was birthed and through the pandemic and how he just he needed something to work on um, because he couldn't really work on anything. And so that's when he started diving into all of his old home video footage and, and home movies and talking to Kushner about it. And Kushner was like, you gotta, you gotta write this down. They started writing it together and, and to hear like just how the writing process alone for Spielberg was so like therapeutic, you know, because mm-hmm. like he's pouring his heart out, you know, um, his whole like life story. It's like, ah, that's the best stuff. That's the best work from any artist is when you could come from that real, raw, honest place. Yeah. Uh, because there, it's just, that's, that's where the magic lies. I'm telling you. Right. Right. It's, it's interesting. Actually, I didn't realize that, that, um, 
that this was a project that kind of got its start just in these last crazy couple of years with pandemic and stuff like that. And that makes so much sense to be just, you know, stuck. Like, you know, you can't really go work on anything too much, you know, especially in 2020. And mm -hmm. uh, for something like this to be thinking back and having that, you know, thought process kind of turn itself into a movie, um, kind of makes sense that we're getting all of these right now, whether it's right. Thomas Anderson or, uh, you know, all these other filmmakers who are, who are right. doing these kinds of things. Armageddon time was very yep. similar. Yep. And like, uh, Bono, I just went and saw Bono's one man show and it was very similar. It was like, this is the story of my life mm -hmm. career, you know, but it's just so cool too, from a, from Spielberg's angle, because Spielberg's not really like a big writer. You know, he's right. a huge director. He's directed, a, you know, some of the best, most cinematic historical masterpieces of all time. But what has he written? You know, right. and so for him to uh, sit down and to write this thing, uh, gosh, that is so cool that he did that and that and that we get we get to uh, experience that. It's really it's really amazing. Absolutely. Well, do you have any puzzle pieces, any movies this kind of reminded you of? I mean, it's obviously such a, uh, you know, it's Spielberg's own story, so it's such a personal thing. But I think that there probably is some things that we could kind of draw some comparisons to here. Well, here's my favorite part about this movie, okay, is that when it comes to this aspect, when it comes to the puzzle pieces, I'm not talking about other movies that it's like similar to. Mm -hmm. The puzzle pieces that I was most excited about when it came to this movie was the little breadcrumbs along the way that uh, were little like flashes of Spielberg's career, mm -hmm. you know? And so the puzzle pieces I want to talk about are like E.T., yeah, you know, and Jaws yeah, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, mm -hmm. you know, like... Like when those kids were on their bikes and all the stuff with the closet, with uh, with the light, uh, watching the film in the closet. I mean, so much of that that was all ET, mm -hmm. and um, and you know the the senior ditch day footage at the beach was Jaws, sure, and uh, them making his his movies uh, on the rocks and the kids dressed like Boy Scouts was like Last Crusade opening scene. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure there's so many more too that I missed, you know, that I bet you could catch up on the more you see it. But like, that was the coolest thing to me was like seeing these little influences peppered in along the way of like young Spielberg and like, you know, you could put it together later for like his vision. And honestly, E.T. has to be the biggest one because Spielberg's always talked about how E.T., at the core of it is just about a kid dealing with his parents' divorce, sure. you know, um, and that's what this is. And so that is the most, you know, uh, that I, I would relate it to, which is such, such a gift because yeah. E.T. is one of the greatest movies of all time, especially for me. It's my own personal, like, top three favorite of all time, probably. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. So there's there's that for me no yeah i i agree with you there's so much of spielberg in this and that this is something that i think will come up in a lot of these little conversations that we're having because and and it kind of makes so much sense for somebody who is just synonymous with movie making itself that 
you know, his own masterworks are going to show up in the story about his own life and about him creating films. It's, you know, I, I called it in my letterbox review, like, you know, the ultimate origin story, you know, and yes. like, it's like, it, it really is like, this is, this is the guy, you know? And so of course, all of his other movies are going to be a part of it. And like you said, I'm sure there's little things peppered in that maybe we don't even like notice in first viewing and second time through or third time through, it'll pop up and you'd be like, oh shit. Yeah. There's, you know, I don't know, even Munich or something, you know, it's like, totally. it's all, it's all going to be there, you know? Totally. Yeah. It was yeah. so cool. And, um, and when I was in the Q and a, he, he even confirmed that like the closet doors in uh, his bedroom were the exact same closet doors used in et and that like he was like okay i'll give you guys that one that one is like uh legit i will confirm that but uh, nice. other than that i'm not going to say anything so i'm <laughs> sure i'm sure it's litter you know which yeah. is so cool i love that that is it's awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah rules and i guess you could even say like you know saving private ryan i guess too with all the war stuff that he made as a kid um it yeah. was funny though uh the those movies like when he was making the war movies as a kid they were actually like pretty decent mm -hmm. you know like they, the way they recreated them and like you know they should have made them like atrocious you know yeah. but like they <laughs> they cut them together pretty well i was like dude come on any kids you know making like war movies is going to be like cut like always sunny in philadelphia when they make like lethal weapon five you know what i mean yeah. so yeah um i wish they would have done more of that but it's okay yeah, I, I'm not throwing in my own puzzle pieces in these conversations, but I would, okay, okay. I, I, I would have said be kind, rewind. Um, as far as like sweeting the films, you know, like his films yeah. should have been a lot more DIY, like oh, kind of totally. Goofy, you know? Yeah, they made him look like immaculate for like a young kid, you know, like, uh, which I'm sure they were anything but, you know. Yeah, sure. That's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be finishing up all of these conversations by asking my guests this. Uh, if you were making a film, as you are a filmmaker, about your own life, do you have any, like, kind of castings, like, dream castings of any of the people in your life, family members, anything like that? Oh, man. Well, um, Anthony Hopkins would play my dad. Okay, um, nice. Because, uh, man, he is like a spitting image of him when i saw armageddon time um recently that's all i could think of i was like oh my god it's crazy and then wow. for my mom it would have to be someone who's you know a firecracker who's a little unhinged but also grounded at the same time someone like susan sarandon mm. would be really good or like sigourney weaver nice you know my that's the thing i identified so much with fablemans because like the Michelle Williams character, who, by the way, was just brilliant. Like mm -hmm. she might win the Oscar. Um, I could totally see her winning just because she was so good. But like, I love how, you know, it was such like a tumultuous relationship with everything that went down. But like they were still so close and he was right. still so connected with her. And like I connected with that so much uh, with myself and going through my own parents' divorce and how. You know, my mom was always such a creative life force. She directed all these musicals and these plays. She was this big music teacher. She worked five jobs, but she was like, you know, just like, da, 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 like nuts. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's me. You know, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> as a as a director, filmmaker, you know, like I I get my creative drive from her and everything. And so it was 
it was really cool. You know, um, the movie didn't pack the emotional punch that I kind of like, you know, you kind of go in and you're like, I'm going to, I was like, I'm going to turn into a puddle when I'm leaving the theater, I'm going to be bawling my eyes out. You know, it didn't do that for me, Yeah, but that's okay. I, it was, it was so sweet and it was filled with so much love that, man, I just can't wait to revisit it again. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, a it's a really beautiful, beautiful movie. And I'm, I'm just, I loved it. I loved it so much. And the, and the David Lynch cameo at the end also was just gold. gold. Yeah. I, I don't know how you can't walk out of this movie and not think that's the best part. Like it's. Yeah. And he, and Spielberg said that that was word for word verbatim, like everything that happened, you know? Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And then you get cool. that, that final little button with the, uh, with the camera tilt. Um, yeah, that was great. That was fantastic. great. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah. I loved that. That's that's why Spielberg's the best. Absolutely. But uh yeah. Dave, this was awesome. Tell people where they could find you. Anything you want to plug? Oh gosh. Right now all you could do is find me on TikTok at Albert's Bucket List, you know. Um, but um I, I got some things in the works, baby. I got some I got my first round notes back on my script. I'm doing a rewrite now and uh who knows what's gonna happen in the new year. I'm excited, but um, I'll leave that there. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, Dave, it's great having you on the show again, and hopefully we'll get you back again sometime for a full one. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. So we've got Chris Johnson with us. We're going to talk about the Fablemans. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. First time doing this type of thing, and uh, I'm a little excited and nervous at the same time. But here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to have you here, man. Like we we have obviously worked together a lot. People who listen to the show have heard me talk about our collaborations. You know, with the when I put the Beater soundtrack out, and uh, yeah. I've played music off of it lots. And so I'm happy to have you here on the show. And you know, I was thinking about filmmakers that uh, you know could talk about the filmmaking aspects of the Fablemans. And right away, my mind went to you and seeing if you'd be interested in doing it. So yeah, I'm really happy to have you on this one. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, briefly about you and your work, um, just so they could kind of get an idea from your own words of what you do. Oh, well, I am basically a, well, as my friends would agree with, kind of a filmmaking psycho uh, <laughs> for, for Free Your Mind films, my own little thing with my friend Winston. Uh, been directing, writing, producing, editing my own stuff, and lighting it for the past, like, uh, well, Free Your Mind is about to be nine years old now uh, wow. itself. But um, in general, of course, since late high school was when I first picked up a camera, which I know is probably late compared to other people, in particular, the filmmaker we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, Steven Spielberg was perfect at it by the time he <laughs> yeah. was like six. So, <laughs> but it's like better late than better late than never, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny when people ask me what my own work is about. And I just, it's, it's usually just whatever I feel like talking about. I mean, it's my views on life, like I told someone a couple weeks ago. Uh, mm -hmm. or my questions more so about things, you know, they're, uh, whether it be about mental illness or 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 domestic violence or any or even suicide assist with one of our movies, uh, yeah, yeah. Service of Others, which is still one of my favorites uh, that yeah. we did together, and one of my favorite scores that you did for me. That one, oh my god, I like that. that like I, I like I thought everybody was, I thought everybody was on the top of their game with that movie, but I I feel like the score just elevated it even more. So it's oh, like, that's awesome. you know, that's that that one's awesome. And beat, I feel the same way about Beater too with that. 
Yeah. So, yeah, that's me. Just crazy. Love movies, love storytelling, love observing people, trying to understand them and probably failing at it. But, you know, uh, <laughs> I just it's it's a it's a lifelong goal. You know, it's a lifelong mission for that. So. Well, the way that you describe your love of movies and the love of storytelling, I feel like that is exactly where Spielberg's coming from with this movie is is trying to understand people, trying to understand his parents specifically and trying right. to kind of break that down in his own relationships there. And so what did you think like as far as um that as a, an inroad to talking about his own filmmaking and kind of balancing all of that together. Cause it's a lot of things going on in this movie. Definitely a lot of things going on. And what's interesting to me, it was like, they always told us in school, make what you know. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, this is the culmination of decades of Spielberg kind of uh, exploring his parents. Yeah. In a way. Uh, and this time, finally saying, you know what? I'm finally just going to sit down and say, instead of being inspired by them, I'm just going to make it about them. And yeah. I, I I, personally respect that in the first place, because even I was trying to do, and mind you, I'm way younger than him, but I was trying to write something about an experience I just had a few years ago, and I got bored. I'm like, oh, I'm tired of writing about myself. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I respect him for not only co-writing the script, because, you know, a lot of uh, he doesn't do that really often i think this is the first time he actually worked on the script since uh ai i think that sounds about right yeah and i think that was the first time he did it in a while you know so you know this was definitely personal for him and then just watching the movie itself i mean you know for me spielberg's a god just period yeah. uh and i remember in school when i went to the art institute and all the other film students were all snobby towards him and here I am, a guy who grew up loving Jurassic Park, loving Raiders, loving E.T., uh, and loving the little Oscar, the Oscar tenders, well, as we'll call them, too, like Schindler's List and Saving Fire Ryan and all that stuff. But, you know, yeah. they would really, you know, sniff their nose at him because of the, uh, the blockbusters. And I'm like, if you can show that much talent in that film, type, those type of films, as well as the Oscar ones, you're, you're the man to me. I'm sorry, I don't agree with you people. <laughs> Yeah. at all i'm I'm here because of him you know everybody would say oh chris you're gonna be the next spike lee even though i adore spike lee i thought that was a little bit condescending just mm. to spike and to me oh what because we're both black <laughs> you know i'm like yeah. no i want to be let me be the black spielberg instead maybe you know because yeah. he had the what just a wide range of 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 talent to me in terms of what stories he would tell you know, yeah. like look at two, look at two thousand two Minority Report. Catch me if you can. Come on, Schindler's <laughs> List and Jurassic Schindler's List and Jurassic Park came out the same year. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's wild, just, right? You know, I and mean, even thinking about his last two, The Fablements is a completely different experience from West Side Story. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and then, like while watching The Fablements, it's funny because you you can almost call his his camera calmer in this movie <laughs> compared mm. to like something like West Side Story where he just went off. That's a showy movie. Yeah, but yet at the same time, even though this is a more subdued movie in its in its subject and the story and everything, but at the same time, it's still complete. You can completely watch it and go like, "Yeah, this is a master at work." 
how do I how do I get to this? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good goal. It's a good goal to, to aim for Spielberg because, like, yeah, I mean, and uh, I, I mean, come on, Spike Lee is amazing too. But yeah, like, definitely, yeah, no, I adore him. I, I I love the idea though of looking at a Spielberg as like well rounded in like the blockbusters, the the Oscar movies. That there's so much there in so, such a well rounded way. So there's uh, there's a lot to to strive for there. As far as this movie as a movie about filmmaking, um, what what were your your thoughts on it? And in the way that uh, young uh, Sammy Fableman picked up the camera and started to get into filmmaking, did it mirror your own uh, aspects at, as at all? Oh, I adored those scenes. Those those honestly may have been some of my favorite scenes in the movie itself because mm-hmm. I can I can really relate to them in my own way. Actually, even the divorce act, the the, the family aspect, I can uh, relate yeah. to as well. But but uh, you know, I just had a huge smile on my face uh, watching the the little version of of uh, Sam, Sammy Fableman uh, pick up a camera and just repeat what he saw, because yeah. that's kind of in a, in our own different ways. That's how we all started. I may not have picked up a camera till I was a senior in high school, but I used to like draw terribly. I might add. And write my own comic books, mm-hmm. and they were they were all based on stuff I love. Um, it's particularly Spielberg stuff. Like my big one was Dinosaur World, and you know where I got that from, <laughs> you yeah, know. For sure. And and, and and having Dinosaur World, Dinosaur World Two, blah blah blah. You know, um, I had Light Rangers, which of course was a Power Rangers ripoff. Mm-hmm. And to see this movie, and to see, uh basically Spielberg's avatar and to see the yeah. movies that Spielberg was inspired by and, and to see this little fictional version of him reenact those movies in his own little home videos. That made me smile because I was like, I may not have picked up a, a camera kid until I was older, but I, I get it. Cause that's yeah. what, what that, <laughs> I get it. Cause I had my own di- terminators in my head, my own diehards in my head, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that was, I really enjoyed those scenes. And they're just so classy. I, I love talking about it that way because, like, you know, that being the point of the show here, the the whole looking at movies through the lens of what inspired them. And so, you know, specifically Fableman being inspired by all of his favorite westerns and war films and stuff like that. And that's what inspired him to pick up the camera. And then you talking right. about it there like that. I, I think that's a, that's a great entry point to the show. And, um, yeah, are there any uh, any movies that you thought of as far as the Fablemans as a whole that uh, you thought maybe were could have been puzzle pieces for this? Things that might have inspired the Fablemans. You know what's funny? I I don't think inspired's the right word word for this one, but it actually mm-hmm. there was there were certain moments that uh, reminded me of uh, actually a Spielberg film I just mentioned already. Uh, Catch mm-hmm. me if you can. Uh, we all okay. talk about Spielberg's. Um, almost obsession with analyzing his relationship with his father. Yeah. In particular, you know, we see it in Close Encounters, E.T., There's No Dad, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, in particular, mm-hmm. you know, like that. Um, even even Alan Grant in Jurassic Park want nothing to do with those uh, being a dad and want, having no interest, but yet he takes up that fatherly mantle, right? When those kids need him. Um, yeah. But what was interesting for me about th- uh, this is the mom uh, yeah. aspect of it. Uh, and, and kind of in comparison to how 
the relationship in Catch Me If You Can was between Leo uh, DiCaprio's character and his parents. Mm-hmm. And it made me question some of my own opinions, uh, moral opinions in general, on certain things people do. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I watched the when the trailers came out, I assumed that uh, I would be on the mom's side the whole time since she's an artist and she feels this certain way. And dad sure. is probably more of a, a stuck up in your face, do it this way type of person. But then when the movie co- happens and through the course of the movie, I start going, oh, but wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, wait, this isn't this isn't right. <laughs> you know, slow down, and in the end, I, slow down. Yeah. And in the end, it kind of <laughs> reminded me of Catch Me If You Can in a way, because even though Christopher Walken's character may not be the greatest husband or he may not be uh, particularly on top of things. Um, I still felt like she could have tried harder too, mm-hmm. to to uh, make things just a better environment and a better and a more of a family unit and a team. And she didn't. Yeah. The first the first the first the first hint of problems she runs to. And I feel like that scene at the end of Catch Me If You Can where Homeboy escapes from the plane. And sees her with her new family, not even looking like she had a care in the world about thinking about him. Kind of made yeah. me go, oh my God. And even though I wouldn't say this character goes that far, uh, uh, Michelle Williams' character here, but yeah. it's it's just interesting to kind of relate to somebody that, that usually I would initially say, well, you're selfish. <laughs> you know, where well, that's screwed, that's screwed up. Like if it happened to me and I was this guy, I'd hate your guts. But it's almost like right. the movie. The movie was pushing my own thought process. You know, mm. you know how crazy I can get sometimes creatively. If this was my movie, something would have happened to her in a ditch or something. Like you know, you know, I feel, you, know you, you know, you know how I feel about people who do those sort of things and what happens to them. You know, uh-huh. in my things. But it was almost like the Spielberg was almost like pushing me a little bit, going like. The answer's not that simple, kid. The answer's not that simple. And then I'm in the right. theater, and I'm like, oh man, maybe you're right. The answer's not that simple. <laughs> oh my god, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're just gonna have to live with this one. Yeah, yeah. and that, and uh, Michelle, well, Michelle Williams is always great, though. Yeah, she's always terrific. Absolutely. And and uh, I, I, well, the whole cast was terrific. Even the kids I didn't know about, even the kids who played the the young Sam, uh, Sammy, and then teenage Sammy, and and um, yeah. Uh, there's really something cool about Seth Rogen being in this, considering that, that Munich joke. I think it was knocked up, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, so I was like, "Oh, all these years later, now look at you, <laughs> now, mm-hmm. now you're working with the man." <laughs> you know, so that was that was pretty cool. And of course, awesome. you know, I think Paul Dano's one of those guys who just had a great year. No, yeah, absolutely, it's true. Well, uh, do you have any other puzzle pieces or things you wanted to bring up? It's just the awesomeness of watching the final scene of the movie and going like. Wait a second. Is that is that David Lynch? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and going like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, what's going on here? <laughs> and 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 I just had a absolute ball with that. And there was something about the scene where he's directing that kid. Um, mm-hmm. it was a war movie scene they were doing, and it was yeah. just that's another bit. I know maybe not everybody in the theater could relate to it, but I sure could. Especially after just finishing, you know, Blind Malice and talking. Directing actors is may arguably my favorite part mm-hmm. of this whole thing. 
you know, it's 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 tough between that and just shooting and directing like the the visuals, but there's just something about that. And then when he's directing the kid, and the kid almost like absorbs it all, yeah. and to the point that he, it's almost like he was in a trance and everything. I just, <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> adored that. And I, I couldn't help also thinking on a different aspect. It's been pretty much thirty years now that Steven Spielberg's worked with uh, this cinematographer, uh, oh, yeah. Janusz Janusz Kaminski. Yeah, I think what was their first one, Schindler's List. I think that sounds right. And I think yeah. they've been doing like every movie since. And I'm just like, wow, that's like just thirty year. That's the kind of thing I want, you know. Like that's the kind of thing I hope for to yeah. to to have such a great camaraderie with somebody that is like you have decades of films together and it's just like uh and, and to the point that now the spielberg look even though he's done other classic movies way before that 30 years mm. but it's like gotten to the point that now the the spielberg look is synonymous with this guy to me you know yeah. and and uh you know i know sometimes for some people it, it may not work like i know with, with like with crystal skull because you know that the first three had their own dp and look and He's trying to emulate one guy, but then make it look like his own thing. So I, I can understand sure. that. But uh, otherwise, it's just like, wow. Like, there's some really beautiful, beautiful imagery in this movie. Uh, yeah. You know, anybody else, anybody else makes this movie or has this script. And it just it's probably like down to earth, just stripped down, you know, to the bone type looking, a visual movie. But yeah. it's Spielberg. So even when he's done doing a quote unquote normal movie, he's gonna make it look like, oh, you know, <laughs> like absolutely, like this, you know, that scene in particular with Homegirl dancing and um, Michelle Williams' character dancing in front of the car in the lights turn yeah. on, and I'm like, oh, why? Well, okay, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a memory that that ingrains whether you got the camera rolling or not. You're gonna remember that moment, you know. Yeah, oh. definitely. So it's like uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure what he's doing after this, but it was like, watch watching this when I when you when I think about those other movies, uh, what okay, what movies reminded me? I just had to go to his own his own filmography and think like, yeah, in certain ways, this is like a culmination of that, almost right. like if he if it, 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 he never has to do the the parent analogy again to me if he doesn't want to because yeah this is it put a bow on <laughs> you know? it yeah. yeah that's that's how it's i feel finished. about it you yeah. know it, it's uh, <laughs> i i really thought it was a tremendous movie and, and it's funny because i was thinking about so west side story came out last december right so yeah. in a less than a year i got to see four spielberg movies from different moments of his career in the theater mm. You know, like with the two new ones with West Side Story and the Fable Vans, and then two classics, uh, uh, E.T. and Jaws. And I'm just like, so many directors that I adore, you know, in my life and recently, you know, but uh, in the end, I think he will always be the first, Spielberg will always be the first one I think of when people ask, well, why do you do this? Like, why do you want to do this? What, who made yeah. you want to do this? Like, movie-wise, if you ask me a specific movie, it's the first Matrix. Yeah, you know, sure. when I was sitting in that theater and I was like, like dumbfounded, like how the how the little little Sammy Fableman was acting in the theater when he saw the movie, his movie. That's how I was for the first Matrix. 
Yeah. But that's also, but honestly, that was, that was like the bow on it for me, you know, to go mm. like, nope, that's what you want to do. But it did start with Jurassic Park. That's sure. the first one that really made, in the theater, that made me go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, like wide-eyed. You know, there's not a lot of many images I remember from that time of my childhood in terms of just stark images. But the T-Rex running after the Jeep and running through the tree trying to bite the Jeep is yeah. one. Well, I remember sitting in the theater watching that oh, and just incredible. being like, oh, my God. So I seeing his influences in, in, in this movie was just like, it's almost like a, hey, he's just like me moment, you know? Like That's cool. That's it was cool. just like, yeah, that's great. So yeah, I really, I really adored this, uh, this movie. But you know, I'm a film, I'm a filmmaker who's pretty positive about most of the movies I watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I don't like something, it's it, it something must have really went wrong. <laughs> you know? <Sure>. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm gonna finish up all these conversations by asking for each of the filmmakers I've got on here, if you were making a film about your life cast some people who are some people you might cast in some key roles in uh in in your family's life that's actually a good question uh i wrote a movie called moms of like uh almost 10 years ago now i think it's it was it's actually it's not based on my life but the two main characters i think one would my father influenced one and my mother influenced the other uh mm. and i i definitely and every time I think about this script, I always cast in my head Idris Elba as my mm -hmm. as the father and uh, Taraji uh, P. Henson as the mom. So okay. I'm going to stick to that answer. Um, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think those two would be great. Uh, I mean, oh, they've made nice. a movie together before, so, you know, that yeah. would work for me. That would be a great cast. So I, I like that one. Chris, this was great. Uh, tell people where they can find you and your work. Uh, you can go on youtube.com slash freeyourmindfilms. Um, that's where all my shorts are. Uh, we're keeping the feature lengths a little close to the chest, so they're private now. Um, mm -hmm. But you can find the shorts on there. Um, and then, of course, Free Your Mind Films has a Facebook page and um, uh, an Instagram page as well, where you can also find me doing like short, very, very short at the theater reviews of movies. Um, the Woman King one is pretty popular. I don't know. I, I don't know that that one seems to pick off. Uh, nice. But yeah, that's where they can find me. Awesome. Right on. Well, hey, I'm really happy to finally get you on the show. And uh, now that we've done a little mini one, maybe we'll get you on for a full one one of these days. But obviously, we're going to be uh, working on another film coming up here soon. So maybe yeah. we'll talk about that at some point, too. But Chris, uh, thank you so much for being here. Oh, of course. Sure, man. Thanks for having me. Joe Black is back with us three times in a row, Joe. I don't think that's ever happened with any other guest. I, I'm honored. I'm honored. I, uh, but I'll, I'll give your listeners a break. I, <laughs> I, I, I had to have you on, though, because this was your idea. Let's do a super episode on the Fablemans and uh, all filmmakers. And I thought it was such a great idea that I had to do it. And uh, so far, it's been going great. And I'm happy to have you on. We obviously, we've talked about your film, Natasha Hall, on the show before, and, you know, all the times you've been on in the past, we've talked about, you know, you as a filmmaker. So it makes so much sense to talk about filmmaking in an episode on The Fablemans. 
Yeah, yeah. I thought that that'd be more interesting than talking about the movie itself. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, that's just a joke. No, I, I feel bad sometimes because I just like your show so much and I like you so much that I feel like I'm always like throwing ideas at you just like, hey, you, you know, like, like, wouldn't that be funny? And, it, you know, 99 times out of 100, you're like, OK, Joe. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it, this one just seems good. so right. Like, you know, it, it, yeah. you know and I love it when you have other filmmakers on uh, on this show. Because I like, I like, you know, being a filmmaker, I like hearing that perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Not that I ever agree with them, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's it's always exciting. And and they don't agree with you, Joe. They don't agree with you either, but. Shock. (laughs) (laughs) I'll convince people of that ambulance metaphor one day, I promise. (laughs) It's going to get out there and it's going to be the, uh, the, the main reading of that film at some point, I'm sure. But Michael uh, Bay heard that and shed a tear. Of, of gratitude mm-hmm. i know it definitely <laughs> joe big spielberg fan as a filmmaker are you a big fan of his i think he's uh no i think he's um no. i think he's the devil but i but uh, i knew this was coming i give him all that power if you will in that i think he's a brilliant filmmaker i think he's okay. uh when people argue that he's the greatest auteur of all time or well not auteur but greatest director of all time i don't have an argument against it uh, at all. Mm. I wouldn't even try right. because I, maybe I agree in some ways, but you know, the, the, it's all about what you do with it, uh, in my opinion. And, um, Spielberg went from being a radical to being a conformist, to being a sentimentalist, to being a propagandist, to being a shill. <laughs> um, mm. I, I, I think he, it's just a de-evolution that is just like, uh, scary in a way. Hmm. Um, wow. And well, I remember. I remember you were really not a fan of West Side Story last year. And so, is this better? Is this worse? Where Where are you at with Fablemans? Oh, this is much better. Um, I I actually said to my wife after West Side Story, I told her that if I ever see another movie like West Side Story in a theater again, I will never go to the movies ever again. <laughs> I I just I just thought it was so insanely stupid and so like um disgustingly uh, I, I don't want to get into it actually it's mm, because yeah, fablemans fair. is fine um fablemans yeah. is uh it's a cute well-meaning uh self-serving movie which you know uh is not unearned after you know 50 years of giving this industry let alone audiences um its power you know what i mean i mean mm-hmm. like spielberg yeah. g- gave birth to the 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 what has killed this as an art form um not that mm. he did it intentionally of course not you know what i mean but like he did with you know jaws and with like nostalgia based stuff like the indiana jones series yeah, like he 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 i don't know 1941 is like the greatest movie ever because it's literally like u.s citizens taking the weaponry out of the government and 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 military's hands and using it to destroy capitalist uh symbolism you know shooting down disney slogans and coca-cola machines with automatic weapons you know like that's hilarious and then jump to like two years later and it's like you know indiana jones and et and like you know like what happened you know what i mean like what happened in the in that time do you do you think in him looking back at himself and like re you know imagining himself as this fableman character do you think do you think sammy fableman uh went on this journey as a filmmaker as well Absolutely. And the only reason, well, yeah, and that's actually kind of my problem with the movie. But like, I mean, first of all, 
I, I don't know why I didn't even think of this till like yesterday. I think it's really funny that Spielberg's um, self-realization of what led him to wanting to make movies was uh, was filming and choreographing train wrecks. Um, like that's just like a really funny, like, uh, like uh, I, I, it blew my mind when I had that thought. Cause that's the whole, like, uh-huh. right. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> the first half of the movie, I was like, this is like exactly what I expected. Not very interesting, but overly sentimental and good natured. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's exactly what I expected from it. And, um, but then the movie got into some really muddy, nasty water and, and, when it gets to this scene where he's um, looking at the footage of his mom, you know, at the camp, she, he notices that she's, she's fucking Seth Rogen, um, mm-hmm. which uh, funny enough is a nice little take this waltz reunion. Uh, not that anybody oh, remembers sure. that movie and thank God yeah. they don't. Cause it is abysmal, mm. but um, he's, he realizes what's going on and it's like too real and too honest. And suddenly he realizes like, the power of film to be able to capture the truth that we can't see right in front of us. Right. Mm-hmm. So what does he do with that? He hides it away in the closet. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't upset anybody and instead just shows like the good side of, of people, you know, and his mother and stuff like that. And then when his mother is confront, when he finally forces her to confront that reality, she rips apart the entire family for her own selfish needs. And basically, you know, destroys everything and as that destruction yeah. is happening spielberg or well fableman realizes that mm-hmm. he was the cause of this so what does he do he just goes back to making his little beach blanket movie you know like like a little movie with his friends at the beach you know and yeah and, and i'm like oh my god is spielberg actually trying to say that confronting the truth and what's in front of us with film is not a good idea and leads to destruction so instead i'm just gonna make things that like are distractions. I, I was like, holy wow. shit, that's really upsetting. That's a really gross and upsetting thought. I can't wait to, to see the end of act three where he comes out of that realizing that no, it, but then it doesn't happen. Like mm-hmm. he realizes even filming people like that causes them to get upset and causes, you know what I mean? Like, like, and that kind of scares him away too. Cause it makes that one jock kid really upset, you know? And, and so, I don't know. The movie just devolves into this like really fucked up mixed messaging, which kind of reveals to me why Spielberg himself is kind of devolved in a thematic and idealistic way. Like, although he's talented, I mean, he's so undeniably talented, but yeah, you know, uh, like I can't, I can't watch saving private Ryan and feel okay about it because the message of that movie is do what the government says. Cause they have your best interest at heart. And it's like, no, I know that's mm. not true you know <laughs> so many interest so many interesting uh ideas here that that you're bringing up and that as usual you know they all do make sense but it's like god it's spielberg like at some point we got to just enjoy it for the blockbuster filmmaking that it is yeah but i feel like oh, well here's a great example though look at hugo you know hugo mm-hmm. is the same thing you know hugo ultimately yeah. is scorsese's version of this movie you know in that like right. he turned that story into the story about how he grew to love cinema as a child. You know what I mean? Like it's, is this it's, your first puzzle piece, by the way? No, no, not at all. Uh, but, but, but okay. like, that's, I just, you, you just remind me, cause that's a big blockbuster fun movie that also has like integrity, <laughs> you know, and, 
<laughs> and and well, Hugo absolutely rules. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my my I yeah no 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 um no that is not my first uh, puzzle piece. No, my first puzzle piece is Home for Purim. <laughs> yeah, um. By the way, uh, can I just say I had that in the back of my mind the whole time watching this fucking movie. <laughs> is that <laughs> so, Rachel? Screw you, Joe Black. Or have I just gone with sugar? Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, listen, I, you know, I, I used to have like the biggest artistic crush on Michelle Williams back in the day. I just thought she was so great. And mm. the more and more as I get older, I realized, I realized she's not very good. And maybe I just, you know, was distracted because she was so pretty when I was, you know, like to me when I was a younger man. But I, um, she, her performance in this was just like embarrassing in my opinion. It's, it's. Her her performance in this is no different than like what they were having the actresses do in The Help, you know, ten years ago. Just these like overly cliched, melodramatic goofball performances, and and the whole movie, all I was thinking was Home for Purim, like and, and yeah, the, you know, it, like, like from really... from for your consideration for those that don't know. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, it, it is a movie yeah. within a movie. Um, yeah, but like. But like, that's why I think that movie for your consideration didn't hit as hard with people as as it could or as as they thought it would, because it's like, no, like, honestly, like, like Home for Purim would be a hit movie <laughs> like it actually would. <laughs> yeah. And Spielberg is obviously a much better director than uh, Christopher Guest's character in that film, although. I will say I actually use his directing technique a lot when I'm talking to my cinematographers and gaffers, the scene where he's like mm. trying to get him to make it brighter in the room. And the gaffer's like, it's as bright as it can get. Like, what the fuck? And he's like, I'm going to smack you. I'm going to smack you. And then he, he finally turns up all the lights and he goes, look, there you go. It's like the fucking sun in here. And the director goes, Chris Guest goes, he goes, I love this. This is a room. Um, that's when my gaffers and cinematographers know that I, I'm happy with it. I go, I love this. This is a room. That's what I say every time. Oh God, I gotta, I gotta watch that movie again. I love Christopher Guest, and I haven't seen that one since the theater. That's like the only one I haven't rewatched. And, it's my, uh, it's my favorite it, one. It, it really is. I find so it with good. most people, it's either their favorite or least favorite. You know, because it's. Uh, not I, like... I liked it. I just, I don't know why I've never rewatched it. I, I, I need to. Yeah, uh, that's so funny. But, but you know what? To the Michelle Williams character, I, I will just uh, a, a very very light defense um, because I do think she's kind of the weakest part of this, but how much of it is the performance and how much of it is what Spielberg wanted out of this character? Cause she's just, it, it, it's a very weird character. It's very annoying character, you know? And it's right. like, is it the performance or is it the writing? Well, the, I think that's why I said home for Purim just in general, because like it's, it's, yeah. one of those, it's like, like the overplaying the Jewish themes, overplaying the family yeah. melodrama, overplaying the the um honestly like overplaying the Jewish stereotypes. Like um, what's his mm -hmm. fucking name is just playing the same character from uh from Independence Day. He's like, I didn't win an Oscar for it, then I'll win it this time. I you know like <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. Um, Judd Hirsch, yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah. He's just like not good in it. I'm sorry. He's just like doing like it's just a it's just a cliche it's just um but it works you know what i mean that's why cliches are cliches. oh yeah the audience loves work. him exactly yeah some of the be and, biggest laughs of the movie are that yeah but you know like, yes like it, those things work but i don't know i just find them really dull personally and yeah. at the same time 
kind of in tune with the message of the movie, which is don't get too real because you don't want people actually confronting the things that are ailing them or that they're doing that are wrong. Otherwise, you'll upset them and, you know, like mm. whatever. And I yeah. just fundamentally disagree as as a person, let alone an artist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from here. But uh, you said you have one other piece you wanted to bring up. I do. And it's funny, somebody uh, I, I actually saw somebody mention this and, and I just you, when I tell you, I just giggled to the point where I was on the floor kicking my feet like a toddler. Somebody said, this is Spielberg's A Woman Under the Influence. Oh, boy. And and <laughs> I laughed my my head off. I that was the funniest thing because it's true. Like, and I told mm. him, uh, like, my friend sent it to me, showing me that his friend had said that, like, as a joke. But I'm like, actually, the ultimate joke is that that's true. That, like, yeah. you know, so, you know, if anyone's ever heard me on this show in the last two weeks, <laughs> um, uh, my favorite, uh, <laughs> my favorite filmmaker of all time is John Cassavetes. And um, A Woman Under the Influence, while not my favorite of his films, is, like, his seminal film. You know what I mean? It's mm, his, uh, sure. you know, Indiana Jones. So. Yeah. Um, is so, and it's about a woman who, you know, is unsatisfied with her husband, no matter how good of a man he is to her and her children are driving her crazy, no matter how much she loves them, that she just feels unseen, unheard and unfulfilled. And, yeah. and she feels so bound by her loyalty and love as a mother and a wife that it, her mind actually snaps. Yeah. And, um, and they feel she needs to be institutionalized, but what they end up learning is that no, she just needs to be loved supported and appreciated and free she needs to be all these mm -hmm. things and um it's so funny so many people read the end of that movie as like a downer ending but like i i and in discussing it with jenna rollins herself have a completely different read that the end of that movie is literally them putting their house back together like that's the mm -hmm. end of the movie is the two of them literally putting their house back in order after yeah. this party where everything went wrong spielberg yeah um is doing all of that with the Michelle Williams character. But there's obviously yeah. some resentment for the mom, which is, uh, mm -hmm. I guess, fair. I don't know. Not that I'd know what happened. But um, like as a child, how could you not be resentful of being like of becoming aware of your mother being a person like this at the most pivotal time in your development? I get it. But um, yeah. I think he still holds a lot of resentment. And I think that he actively is shying away from the truth and and trying to figure it out so of course all he could make is this you know mushy you know sent overly sentimental movie that chooses by the end i mean the the the, the fableman chooses to ignore all of it like he chooses to just like be selfish as the sister puts it you know what i mean and um and and so it is his woman under the influence but i talk about this you know and i i know like you joke that like you know all the filmmakers on the show disagree with me and vice versa, blah, 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 blah. I feel like I, I always had that in me where like movies like this and Spielberg, they just always rubbed me the wrong way or they didn't work for me or like, but, yeah. but then I saw Cassavetti's work and it was like, it was almost like you can't unsee it. Like when you mm. see something that raw, that real, that unafraid to be truthful, something that's like so real that we almost like inherently reject it on a screen. You know what I mean? Like, like once you experience yeah. that, it's hard to buy into 
the the artifice anymore. Yeah. Well, and, and it's tough. It's tough if, if like just to add into that, like Please, it's yeah. tough for someone like Spielberg. I think that like is a blockbuster filmmaker, and like he's got to make the audience feel okay by the end. He can't like you know sit with it like something like a woman under the influence does. Right. But but well, I think that there's a difference though. You're absolutely right. And and if the whole cinematic landscape was made up of things as raw and real as a woman under the influence i would never watch movies like because it's too much yeah <laughs> but <laughs> it'd be like too, it would be too much you know yeah too heavy like right but like here's the thing man there's a difference between artifice and sentiment you know mm. what i mean like there really is there's there's a poetry to to perspective there's a poetry to the tools of cinema and you honor the truth with your perspective and your tools and your, you know, like and your tastes, you honor the truth. You don't have mm-hmm. to manufacture the truth. You don't have to, you, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's where Spielberg has kind of chosen to land. Yeah. And, and I just find it kind of unfulfilling and, you know, like I think it speaks to my, you know, I, I can relate to, to Fableman in that, like, I wanted to be a filmmaker for as long as I've, you know, known. And as a kid, I was getting everybody together and putting together these these movies. I mean, I made my first feature when I was 17 years old. You wow, know what I yeah. mean? Like, like I took a bunch of film equipment over the winter break. I, I took it out of the film closet. I actually never returned the uh, the uh, hundred foot extension cord that I took, um, <laughs> and I still use it on nice. my sets to this day. Nice, but um. You know, so I, I I get that, and I actually thought the kid who played Fable, I thought he was really great. Like I I yeah. I, I thought I, I I like he he kept me from walking out. On the other side of that coin, I I think I joked with you. I said I would never disrespect my parents by ever by by having Michelle Williams <laughs> and Paul Dano playing them because I just can't think of anything that that really tells me how much you hate your father that you had Paul Dano play him. Um, well, that, that, that's that's a that's a good place to talk about some casting. If you were to make a movie about your life, what mm-hmm. do you have any uh, any particular castings in mind for any key family members? Sure. Well, I actually was thinking about that about two hour, about an hour and twenty five thirty minutes into the movie, I started just drifting and thinking about that specifically. <laughs> and I was thinking, if I was to make a movie about my life during this time like you know me coming into my own as like what it means to me to be a filmmaker you know um in high school specifically like you know middle school to high school like this movie is who would i cast and i was thinking well you know at the time you know my mother was in her late 30s my mom had me pretty young you know and my my Mm -hmm. father was in his you know mid to late 40s so who would i cast Mm -hmm. and i i landed on blake lively as my mom and jason siegel as my dad, if I were to make that movie right now, you know what I mean? And okay. um, it's yeah. funny because my dad is like, you know, five foot six and was heavier set back then. And Jason Siegel is neither of those things. But but again, it's a that's that's kind of what I mean about the difference between artifice and sentiment. You know what I mean? That like mm-hmm. like the way that I see my father during that time, I feel like Jason Siegel could embody that my my emotional right. perspective of my father at that time, you know, and same thing with Blake Lively. I, and again, I just, you know, nearing 80 years old, the fact that Spielberg is, is seeing his life through this lens, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it, I have 
I have a lot of fears about that. Like, how will I look back on what I'm doing now? And I guess fear is the wrong word. I guess I feel a great sense of responsibility. You know, some people mm-hmm. who listen to me on this show might think otherwise. So like, this guy wants to have a career. And did you hear what he just said about J.J. Abrams? <laughs> like, like what's, what's he thinking? But, but at the end of the day, I would rather um, mean what I say. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, and I realized that I think as a filmmaker, very young, I, I, I realized what I realized during this, during those formidable years, like, 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 uh, that Fableman goes through is kind of the exact opposite of what he took away from his journey, which is that I only want to make things that are responsible and, um, and have purpose. And, uh, mm. because it, it is a great responsibility to ask even if you're just asking 20 of your friends to show up on a saturday afternoon to make your army movie like that's a great responsibility and it's a and 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 you should be very fortunate and grateful that people are willing to do that for your whimsy um yeah and especially as you know you i get into the more real quote unquote industry side of things you know, I feel a great responsibility and, and gratefulness, a thankfulness that somebody gives me thousands of dollars of theirs to make a movie or that somebody gives right. me two hours of their time to watch the movie, let alone the people who gave me hundreds of hours of their time to help make it, you know, like that, right, right. that, that, that's too important to me to, to just have a goof. And I think that the great beauty of cinema is that you can have a goof while being meaningful Mm -hmm. that's that's the gift of movies and again you know like look i when it comes to spielberg i love 1941 um i i actually the color purple is one of my favorite movies of all time and and Mm -hmm. and i really love 90 percent of jurassic park (laughs) um Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like, like he's not a, he's not a total, like I, I, you know, I call him the devil and I'm half joking, but, but it's, 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 I get it. And I respect him. I really do respect him. Yeah. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I've, I've got to be true to what I see as, as um, a danger, not only to myself, but to people who come in contact with it. And, um, you know, had Michelle Williams faced the truth about herself earlier, maybe she wouldn't have hurt her family as deeply. Hmm. you know but at the end of the day is he happy for his mom is he or is he selfish you know i don't think that the movie answers that because i don't think spielberg can answer that so interesting yeah well joe tell people where they can find you and your work oh uh (laughs) blue means pregnant films.com and uh uh you can see most of my films and you can see many making of documentaries and things like that and you can see all the works of my other uh, colleagues and confidants and um and soon hopefully natasha hall will be uh on demand in the next couple months our last film so awesome awesome well joe it's always fun having you here and always great to uh Get your insight into these movies. It's I, I'm sure it's going to be a lot different from most of the other guests on this episode, but I, I think that you brought up some really interesting stuff here. So uh, thank you, as always, for being here. And we'll talk to you again next week, probably. Oh, great. I look forward to it. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So Paul Hibbard's back with us. Let's talk about The Fablements. Paul, how's it going? 
I'm doing great. How are you doing, Dave? I am doing awesome, and I am. Uh, we, we've been having these conversations so far, and getting a really wide range of takes on this movie. I mean, I guess I wouldn't expect Spielberg to be divisive, but I guess it kind of is divisive in a way. Like you know, everybody's got their their different favorites, and I don't know. Where do you come from as a Spielberg person? Are you are you a big fan of Spielberg's movies, or where do you fall in that line? Um, Spielberg's someone who I respect most of the time and occasionally love. I mm -hmm. never really dislike anything that he does. Uh, usually whenever he goes for things that are hitting a little bit harder, I tend to like it. So Schindler's List is probably my favorite film from him. Mm -hmm. And I think is possibly one of the greatest films ever. I think Munich is an underrated masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and I, but on the other hand, as a horror person, Jaws has always been one of the movies that I just haven't loved on the same level as mm. other people and even jurassic park which kind of plays in horror a little bit but you know it's a little more of a blockbuster but even that film i appreciate it i really like it but the way that some people talk about it with this reverence is something that i just don't connect to as much so it, it's sort of strange because he does do things that i i think are just absolutely fantastic but it's usually when he's like pulling more I think from the non-entertainment side where he's trying to maybe go a little more art house. Right. Right. And, and I, I mean, I don't know. I think you just watched the movie like today or something. Like, I don't know how you felt about this one. I haven't seen like your letterbox or anything on it. I feel like this kind of comes from the place that maybe you tend to like more of Spielberg from. Yeah, no, I, I do like this one a lot. I give it four and a half on letterbox. Oh, wow. I think it, com it comes from, like everything about the movie, you know, it's not quite as hard hitting as something like Schindler's List, but everything just felt so honest in the movie. And when you compare this to like other biopics, oftentimes it's music biopic, musician gets get more of the biopics than filmmakers do. So when I was thinking about like the combination of a filmmaker and a music biopic, this one feels so like honest to mm -hmm. to what shapes someone to become a filmmaker. Yeah. And I, I, I really, really liked it. And about the halfway point, I was on board. I was appreciating it. But the second half really won me over. Yeah, I feel the same way. The second half is where it really comes alive. And uh, I, I've got issues with the first half. But overall, I like the movie a lot. And uh, that second half is just killer. And uh, so much fun for somebody who, you know, loves movies and loves the way movies can make you feel and how they can, you know, take you away with storytelling. And uh, mm -hmm. I think I think it's just super exciting what, what happens in that second half. As far as this movie, we'll get into puzzle pieces in a second. But like, do you feel that, like, as a filmmaker, like, does, does any of it mirror what you went through as you decided to pick up a camera and start getting into this? It does. And, and that was the part that I really related to that I really felt was honest because the film starts and it seems to be that it's going to be his influences that are going to carry him along. And, and, he, and it's going to be his connections to the films that he watches that really shapes him as a filmmaker. And when I was younger, that's what started me also. And I think starts a lot of people into making films is you watch movies you love. You want to make movies like it. Yeah. Emu emulating and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of emulating. And I think obviously you can have your own voice while you emulate. But there needs to be this time, I think, where you discover yourself too. And I remember when I was about 10 years ago, I made a, a, a film that I thought was going to go 
to a lot more places than it did. And it did not. And I was really frustrated and I quit film. So there was about a two to three year period where I quit film and I thought that I was done with it. And now in hindsight, what I realize is even though I was so disconnected from filmmaking and I was even pretty disconnected from film in general, I wasn't watching as much as I used to. I was getting more into um, uh, like reading and I was getting more into music at the time. Mm. And I eventually came back because my passion carried me back to it. But during that time period, that time away from it, I really discovered a little bit more of who I was. I got to discover more of what my voice was without stuffing film in my mind 24 seven. And there is that time in the second half of the movie where he quits film and he's done with it. And he, it looks like he's going in a completely different path, but what he's actually doing is probably getting an education to be a filmmaker that is even as important, if not more important than being a kid and and falling in love with film from the beginning. So that's sort, that's sort of like, path that that it goes in i felt to be really honest i think that a lot of uh biopics with artists it's always them being surrounded by the art everything that they see influences the art all the art that they see or hear influences them and i really like this this message of of a lot of times the time away the break that you take from it is what shapes you a lot there's a quote actually from Werner herzog where people ask him what to do to be a great filmmaker. He says, take two years. First year, watch films constantly, nonstop. And the second year, don't watch any movies. Go backpack hiking in <laughs> Eastern Europe. Meet people, talk to people, and come back and then make a movie. And yeah. that's, how, that's how you do it. And I feel I, like this was the film version of that. I feel like I need to do year two like next year. Like I, yeah. <laughs> I've been watching too many goddamn movies. I need to take a break. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces. What do you have uh, for your first piece? Well, both of my pieces, I think, kind of uh, play along what I was saying, where you need to have that part where you see something, you, you, you find yourself and you need the part where you uh, fall in love with films. So the first one that I picked uh, is is part of the process of, your childhood and what you see. And that's a uh, Belfast, even though I like mm-hmm. this much more than Belfast. But what I liked about Belfast is it was also Kenneth Branagh being shaped to be a filmmaker with his experience in Northern Ireland and the troubles and the war and everything. And I felt like that film, it put a lot of focus on his experiences as a child that kind of shaped him. Uh, the film aspect was kind of on the periphery of that film, mm-hmm. but it, I think, definitely speaks to how somebody can use real life experiences to become a filmmaker. So that was the first one that I thought of with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like this fits squarely into this like little subgenre that we've been getting these last couple of years with all of these filmmakers like kind of taking a step back and you know making these autobiographical films where even if it's not i mean this one is is very specifically about the filmmaking aspect although it's also about other things like the family and the divorce and all that but uh certainly the filmmaking is a major part of it and uh a lot of these other ones maybe are about other things as well but these directors who are just absolutely beloved and have like 20 30 40 50 years worth of film for us to think about uh, taking a break to just talk about themselves for a little bit in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, 
And, and, and I felt that on that aspect. And then the second piece that goes the other direction, I could just say all of Tarantino's career, but to uh, pick one, I'll say Kill Bill, because I feel like Kill Bill's is the <laughs> one where he's wearing his references the most on his sleeve. And he's oh, just, yeah. he's basically just showing off the references <laughs> in that one. And that is, and that's an experience of a, of a great filmmaker who, probably didn't really get that time away from film because i feel like tarantino has been inhaling it since he was 15 but he was <laughs> sure. but he's very good at what he does and he's the kind of person who can emulate and further create so you know guys like spielberg and de palma and scorsese people who came up in the 70s they definitely have that sort of like emulation that the 90s uh, directors have also but the 90s guys they just really really wear it on their sleeve and yeah. i feel like if you were to take the approach of Kenneth Branagh and how he became a filmmaker at Belfast and combined it with the approach of Tarantino spending all his time in a video store, that combination sort of makes up Spielberg. And it sort of makes up, I think, what this movie was getting at ultimately, that it's the combination that makes you that great. Right, right. And th that's, a, that's an interesting one. I hadn't thought of Tarantino, but definitely like you're seeing so much uh, of, you know, little Sammy Fableman's influences coming through his films. And like, uh, it, you, you don't hear the, the filmmakers of that generation. Like, well, I don't want to say here. I, you do hear them talking about their influences. They, they talk about the films that they love, but you don't see those influences all the time in their films. Uh, even, even though you, you, you know that they're there and these, these guys are constantly, uh, so reverential of, of like the, the classics from the thirties and, you know, whatever that they grew up loving. And we just maybe don't know them. We don't have that language necessarily. And here is somebody like straight up shining a light on it. Yeah, and especially like if you include Lucas into the conversation, sure. I mean, so much of Star Wars obviously is from Kurosawa. And so, you know, when I was growing up, I fell in love with uh, Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson and those filmmakers. But there was this like backlash against some of that they were copycat artists, right? Mm. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson's doing Alt Altman and he's doing um, Scorsese and then Tarantino, this whole list of filmmakers that he's doing. And I had this idea when I was, you know, younger and getting in the film that these guys were ripoff artists or people thought they were ripoff artists. Right. I still love them, but people thought they were ripoff artists. But then when I started getting more into film and looking at the films that were influencing uh, these filmmakers, I realized that that form of like taking what was before you and putting it in your influences has always been there. And yeah, uh, yeah so it, it wasn't, it didn't just start with them. Yeah. And that's why I love doing the show to uh, show that that's not a bad thing. Like, you yeah, know, people need to recognize that. Like, there's nothing that's not influenced by something that the creator loved. You know, it's just it's there mm -hmm. no matter what, no matter what form of art you're in. Uh, the, the things that you love are going to find their way into what you're making. So it's mm -hmm. people just need to kind of get over that, I think. Yeah. And there's one more. This is just a, a minor little piece. It's not really a film, but I just listened to an interview recently with uh, Josh Shafty. He was being interviewed for the Criterion channel uh, for the extras on um, Close Up the Kurostami movie. And okay. he was he was telling the story about how when he was like 20 years old, he was just getting into filmmaking. He wasn't very good, but he kind of had an idea of what he was doing, that he was being followed on the subway by these two guys who were going to mug him. He could tell they were going to mug him. It was late at night, New York subway. No one was there. It was just these guys. He kept walking from car to car. They kept following him. He knew it was coming. So he got off at the next stop. They followed him. No one was there. And they walked up to him. And the last minute, right before they got to him, he turned around and he said, 
hey, you two, you two look like you would be great in a movie. I'm a filmmaker. I need, I need someone to play a badass. I can't find it with these actors, but you two look really badass. Will you be in my movie? And immediately their whole demeanor changed. And they were like, yeah, sure. We want to be in a movies. And he got their number. And obviously there was no movie. He just tricked the idiots. But um, um, that was like, that's how he won them over. And that reminded me of this film. I was really thinking of that when he won the guy over at the end by um, showing yeah. him so much in the film. And he got him on his side. That's awesome. That's a great story. And I didn't realize it before, but now I want a Safdie Brothers version of the Fablemans of their coming oh, up with that. doing what it is that they do in film because uh that would be yeah. a, a fun movie for sure uh but, yeah absolutely uh but those are great pieces and uh, i've been asking everybody else so i'm going to ask you if you as a filmmaker were going to make a movie about your life uh let's cast some people within your family some important people that you uh maybe have some actors in mind Does anybody uh, come to mind uh, I can't really think of anyone for my mom. My dad looked, especially when he was a little bit younger, he, he looks kind of like a dead ringer for Burt Young. <laughs> so okay. I feel like that, that would be kind of an interesting one. Nice. My sister, this is pretty complimentary to her, but my sister could go for like an Amy Adams. She has the, uh, she has the uh, uh, red hair coming down. Nice. And uh, yeah, I don't know about, uh, for me, um, when I used to have hair, one person, literally just one person said this, but I ran with this. One person said I reminded him of Guy Pierce. So I, I've <laughs> held on to that forever, even though it was nice. literally just one person. And when I tell the people that story, they're like, what? And I'm like, shut up. Don't take this away from me. So A lady at the post office once said I look like Justin Timberlake. So that's my version. Oh, of my. Yeah. <laughs> just hold on to that. Don't let anyone take that away from you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that would be my casting, I think. Nice. I love it. I love it. Well, Paul, uh, this is great. Tell people where they can find uh, you and your work. Uh, find me on, uh, you can find me on Twitter if that still exists at uh, PC Raven. And I am on uh, Letterboxd. Please follow me on Letterboxd. I'm at my name, Paul Hibbert, PC Hibbert there. And uh, I'll review movies. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for uh, being here. And I look forward to getting you back again sometime soon. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Chris Cranock is with us, and we're going to talk Fablemans. Chris, how you doing over there? I'm doing very well. Better that I'm not watching the Fablemans. <laughs> I, I was going to say, uh, you know, for everyone listening, uh, Chris is here in my house right now. This is the only one of these six conversations that uh, I, I'm recording in person. And so we've talked a little bit ahead of time. I, I know that you did not like this movie. Mm -mm. So I'm just going to say... Uh, Chris, were your early shorts as good as little Sammy Fableman shorts? <laughs> well, no, 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 absolutely not. And that I think is maybe one of I mean, there's a there's a many, many reasons why I didn't like this movie. And one of them was, yeah, the the apex, you know, hubris that it takes <laughs> to make a movie where you were a perfect character uh -huh. and a child prodigy. Yeah. I was shocked and disgusted mm -hmm. by the lack of wherewithal. Yeah. Yeah. So no, my movies were not as good. I don't think they're still I don't think they're as good now mm. as young as seven year old Sammy Fableman. Yeah. On a zero budget and yeah. just nothing. Just and... nothing but with but moxie and passion and magic. Yes. Oh and a fucked up family. That's what you really need sure. to, you know, to be able right. to do the it. Artsy mom and yeah. the, you know, the IBM dad. And yeah. Which was like the most watered down version of that dynamic I've ever seen. Uh huh. 
with in the avuncular Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. God, I'm nauseous talking about it. So before before you uh, you shit on the movie any further, <laughs> um, are you a Spielberg fan? Like, do you like? I know your cinema knowledge, you know, goes pretty wide. You mm-hmm. like a lot of like foreign cinema and like all sure. kinds of things. Like, what what do you feel about like him as a filmmaker? Yeah, I mean, I think his his imprint on American cinema is uh, indelible and kind of unavoidable for people of my generation. You know, I was a kid in the '90s and stuff. So, it, to to say that I don't like him is is oversimplification. He was really important, and I do like his films when they're good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does. He's obviously a really brilliant and talented person and fil- filmmaker, of course. Yeah. Uh, but it's a love hate relationship because sometimes he makes flatly bad films like War Horse. That's just a bad yeah. motion picture. And then he makes great films, you know, like Lincoln is a great movie in my mm-hmm. opinion for a more modern one or Jaws is a great film. Sure. But then, yeah, something like Jaws is also really challenging for me because it ushered in the blockbuster and it basically destroyed the roadshow distribution model and it right. gave us, you know, as what Scorsese described as theme park cinema. I don't think what what people don't realize what that means is that there was, there was an era of movies that were literally translated into theme parks and vice versa. And that's yeah. because they're that digestible. So, like, I think he's had a really, Spielberg's had a, a very damaging effect on good films. Mm. But that, you know, being made and getting distributed and the business side, but that doesn't stop him from being a good storyteller 50% of the time. So that's yeah. a long, complicated answer. But no, I don't hate the man or hate his films. I like them when they're good. And sometimes they're spectacular, and sometimes they're really bad. This might like lead into some of your puzzle pieces, I'm not sure, but what do you think about when a filmmaker kind of self-reflects and you know bases something on their own life? Do you, do you like that? Do you like the idea of somebody trying to tell their own story like that? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I try not to have any rules. I think it's like, does it work? Then I like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of my favorite films of all time is Eight and a Half, mm-hmm. which is a very autobiographical Fellini film. And, yeah. you know, the character by Marcello Mastriani is loosely, you know, a, a, you know, an avatar for Fellini. But in, in a way, it transcends the reality of his life. I mean, there's... No, number one, it's much more critical than like a Fableman's, whereas, yeah. you know, the the... The Guido character of Eight and a Half is a disaster. You know, yeah. He's neurotic, and he has women problems, and he fears them, and he also objectifies them. He's kind of a kind of a scumbag. Yeah. And so I think when the artist is, it's a weird combination of weird combination of being more truthful with yourself, but then also letting the story transcend just your story. Like yeah. Eight and a Half isn't the story of Fellini. Sure. But it touches on the poetic tr- truths of Fellini. In a in a more dark and gritty way, so yeah, I mean, in that context, I love when it works. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. You know, but when it doesn't work, it's like, oh boy. Yeah. So there's yeah, no, no, I have I have no real rule on like, do I like that? It's yeah, if it's good, I like it. Yeah. No, that yeah. I, that's absolutely fair. And I mean, this drawing on both Spielberg's past as a filmmaker and on his family life, mm-hmm. like you know, you're kind of getting a little of both sides of that, but all based in reality you know mm-hmm. heightened reality but still based on that reality yeah i mean i feel like the the thing that we've talked about about another picture called empire of light and mm-hmm. kind of a trend that's happening right now there's two things that are going on which is that i think right now movies are in that are trying to get people back to the theaters you yeah, know, yeah after the covid you know after covid it's like you know the magic of the movies and coming back and I, of course i appreciate that but it, when I don't like when cinema is manipulative and saccharine and overly emotional, so those mm-hmm. those kind of conflict. You know, yeah. it's like I don't really like that approach. 
but at the same time, I appreciate what they're trying to do, which is get people back excited about you know about cinema again. So I, I yeah. get that. But the other, the major thing, just from an objective standpoint, is that the movie is a mess in its storytelling. Mm. The Fablemans. There's like five stories going on in there, and they mm. don't really have a lot of. It lacks a lot of focus. Right. You know, a collection of memories. Unless you're in the hands of, you know, a great artist like a Tarkovsky who's, you know, weaving dreams together. And, you know, there are people that can make that type of structure at work. But mm-hmm. The Fablemans is a, a very conventional movie and it just lacks focus. To so be I, fair, I would call Spielberg a great artist, just maybe... He's a great entertainer. He's a great entertainer. And maybe this isn't the right place for him to be. Yeah. I mean, I, this is another time. There's not enough time to go into if he's an artist or not. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But he turned the Holocaust into the Grinch. And, you know, he did. His heart grew three times as big uh-huh. at the end. And, you know, yeah. let's, let's pick the one time where things worked out. Puzzle piece. There you yeah, go. Yeah. So is he an artist? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's too broad of a term for me to define. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, maybe he's not quite the artist I would hope to be. Right. But he is definitely true to himself. I mean, so he's, I think, in his eyes, his estimation, especially after watching The Fablemans, he definitely thinks he's an artist. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, let's start getting into puzzle pieces. Uh, what do you have for your first one? I'm going to have to go uh, with Super 8. Okay. Which I imagine is, I don't think I have any too original. I might have one or two that, that maybe somebody else didn't mention. I imagine other filmmakers brought up Super 8. Because Super 8's kind of a Spielbergy ripoff. Sure. Right? It's like the kids with the camcorder, you know, with the Super 8 camera and stuff. But the reason why, not only are there the movie elements that are linking it, but it's also just the kind of polish mm-hmm. the movies have. Yeah. I see them as similar, and they don't take a lot of risk mm. in terms of their actual craft. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, they're capturing that time, and they're capturing that, that vibe, but then it's very, very blockbuster. It's very still for everybody. Like... When I saw it, I saw it at like a packed press screening mm-hmm. and the crowd loved it. You it know, was, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. For, for any, any criticisms that might come up in this episode, I mean, the crowd ate it up mm-hmm. and it's, it's for a wide range of audience for everybody, basically. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think Super 8 was kind of the same uh, kind of appeal with mm-hmm. that movie. So I think it's a, it's a good one to bring up. Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing wrong with making a film that is, is, is for entertainment's sure. value. You know, I believe in, you know, not every movie has to be Igmar Bergman. You know, I'm a big believer that those types of movies can and should exist yeah. where the, you know, they're for the mass audiences and escapism. And I don't want to come off overly curmudgeon and feel like, you mm. know, we should all be, you know, making avant-garde cinema. I, I, I don't feel that way. Yeah. But it's just like, when, when are we being, uh, insulted? You know, yeah. you know, then it's a fine line because sometimes you have to make a broad approach to entertain most people, but sometimes there's pandering. Yeah. And so I think I would have, I, I don't want to be overly harsh on, on the Fablemans. I don't, it's almost, I mean, sometimes I exaggerate for comic effect, but, yeah. but it, it just wasn't told well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it didn't work. It's not that it, I necessarily agree with it or disagree with it on just like some abstract philosophical level. I do, mm-hmm. but I was, I know what I'm getting into. I've seen Spielberg movies, so I was in there ready to expect you know, the saccharine emotional touch. I just think it wasn't put together particularly well and that it was self-indulgent and that it kind of talked down to us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I just don't, I want to clarify that I don't mind things being popular. Sure. That's okay. Yeah. Just be good too. <laughs> That's, if you can be good. It's a simple ask, I think. I think so. Yeah. I mean, what's good is subjective to me. Yeah. But I think I'm pretty dang fair. Mm-hmm. I like some movies that are not like, you know, great art, but they're good movies. They yeah. still do their job. I don't think the Fablemans did it. I think it was just a tired bunch of cliches and then thrown together and just bummed me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, what do you got for your next piece? Uh, Hugo. Sure. Okay, so Hugo is, again, a love letter to cinema. Mm-hmm. There's a story in Hugo, which mm-hmm. I think is very different. It makes it very different, and it's you know a, a more compelling story. But it kind of has that folksy, almost for children. I mean, Hugo's specifically for kids, kind of yeah. like a kid's movie with adult themes to where I think the Fablemans is more adult, adult film with children's themes. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, there's a kind of, again, there's a kind of a gloss, there's a magic, there's a glow, there's just like a op- kind of a open hearted approach to movies Yeah, and a movie about movies. So yeah, I think Hugo is a kind of a kissing cousin. Yeah. I, I forget if we brought up Hugo when we were talking about Empire of Light, which by the way, this episode will go up before Empire of Life. So, you know, whatever, but you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, yeah, as far as like these love letters to cinema, I mean, it is a very big thing this year. I mean, we've talked about, you know, maybe it has something to do with, with, you know, post COVID and, you know, how theaters aren't doing well, but right now we're just getting so many of these quote unquote love letters to cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is just such a damn good one, though. Hugo? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Hugo was really good. And yeah. It kind of predates all this. You know, it yeah. feels... I think what saves something like Hugo is that it comes... You know, Scorsese is a different caliber of director in terms of integrity. And, yeah. And, you know, just, they're just different things. He's probably one of the most successful and popular of people that don't really manufacture their work for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, Spielberg really kind of tries to throw a wider net. That's just, you know, for instance. Um... But what saves something like Hugo is the source material. Mm-hmm. Like you have a novel, and in that novel is a narrative that yeah. you know that there's some type of separation from the artist. And so I think when you have a script that's co-written by the director and it's based on their own memories, like uh, a Fableman's, you that's where you run the risk of not having the objectivity yeah. that I think you maybe should have when you're telling that type of story. If you're gonna like like kind of not to bring up eight and a half again, but like if you're gonna look at yourself, you kind of have to be you know intent you have to rip off the gauze you have to be really intense so that we get a sense that you're being honest with yourself even if you're not yeah sure. and uh, so yeah i think that there there wasn't maybe enough objectivity in the fableman script with with him actually having a hand in the writing mm-hmm. yeah i think hugo works because it has that source material to anchor sure sure and it is his first time writing in a while on mm-hmm. any of his since films, uh, since the 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 rewrite of um artificial intelligence that Damn, that's a long time, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Because uh, there was that, just a surprising. Kubrick treatment. Yeah. And he handed it over to Spielberg, who wrote the script from scratch. Yeah. And by himself. Yeah. Which is evident yeah. in the <laughs> film. <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk about AI one of these days. One but, day. uh, yeah. Well, that's another mixed emotion, man. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that's tough. Did you have any other that you wanted to bring yeah, up? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I'm kind of babbling. Sorry about the puzzle pieces. <laughs> I, I have, I also brought up the Majestic. Okay. Which we don't have to get into. It. 1950s cut love letter to movies, same kind of spiel. But again, it has Frank Darabont, who I think has a little bit harder of an edge. You know, Frank Darabont also wrote and directed Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile. Mm-hmm. He kind of has a whimsy about him. Sure. But there's like a kind of a a, a, a darker, you know, tenor about a, th- a, a chord that runs through it. So The Majestic is a, a cool 1950s look at movies. So is this. Um, I would also want to bring up a movie called Day for Night, which okay. is a, a French film by uh, Francois Truffaut. And I bring that up because it's another movie about movies. It's kind of like a making of, of a film. It's very funny. But it's also uh, connected because uh, Truffaut was in 
Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It okay. actually plays a role yeah, in that film. That's and, right. And there's uh, so I know that Spielberg loves those movies, loves the you know French New Wave, but I don't know if they kind of seeped into him as other other film as they had with other filmmakers. But yeah. there's definitely a connection there with Truffaut. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to balance, I would imagine, to try to appeal to everybody and do things that are that kind of daring and, you know, out right. there. It's like, it's it's not an easy thing to do. No. I mean, the thing is, what always sticks with me about Spielberg, so like, you, you have somebody who makes something like E.T., which, you know, I, I'm, full disclaimer, I'm friendly with the guy who's the gaffer on E.T., so it maybe sounds disingenuous that I'm a fan of that movie, but I am. Because I think it actually, I was a fan before I knew the man. Mm-hmm. And so it's... It's uh, it strikes the balance of being sentimental without being saccharine, you mm-hmm. know? and it's a it's a whimsical story in its bones, and it's a great story, and it really achieves a, what it sets out to achieve. So yeah. I'm a big fan of that. But then, at the same time, it's made by a filmmaker who pulled uh, Shia LaBeouf aside. Was it LaBeouf or LaBeouf? I don't know. <laughs> LaBeouf yeah. aside, and because he was getting all ornery about making the Transformers movie, uh-huh. and Spielberg said to him, "There's time to make art, and there's time to sell cars." Mm. And this is the man we're dealing with here. Yeah. You know, which is, I just fundamentally disagree with that. Right. You know, that's just, I mean, again, I don't think that those films shouldn't be made. I just don't want to make them. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to enjoy them, make them good. Yeah. You know, so I don't want to sound too overly repetitive, but that's, yeah, I just sticks in my craw. I I understand. I I get where you're coming from here. This is me right off. Well, Chris, um, (laughs) if you were to make a movie about your life. Yeah. Do you got any uh, any castings for anybody? Any of your uh, key family members that you might uh, imagine? Well, for me, if anyone's listening has ever seen a picture of me, mm-hmm. this will not be a surprise. I would definitely have to go with Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yeah. Because Paul Giamatti, I look hauntingly like the man. <laughs> and I've always thought I was more attractive, but there's that lack of objectivity that mm. maybe Spielberg shares. Um <laughs> I he Paul Giamatti is such a fine actor. He might be our greatest living is American actor. One so. of my favorite moments of last year was in the Jungle Cruise when Paul Giamatti is he's just been foiled and he starts yelling <laughs> Frank and he's just like kicking his legs and, and and he could really do anything. He could do sideways. He could do big fat liar. He's all over the place. He could do it. One one of my favorite jokes of all time is Chris Rock was hosting the Academy Awards like the year after Oscar So White. Mm. And so they just like a, they made an obligatory choice and put a black comedian up there to just mm. make racially charged jokes to sure. try to lighten the mood a bit. And he was talking about how great Paul Giamatti was as an actor because he said last year he was a slave auctioneer and 12 years a slave and this year he was crying at Easy's funeral. He's like that's range. And I <laughs> cried for like 25 minutes. I thought that was the best joke that's awesome. I've ever heard. So yeah, Paul Giamatti for me, mm-hmm. for childhood me, for teenager me, <laughs> for adult me, for old me, for a, for my crazy kooky mom who didn't follow her dreams. For my IBM nerdy dad, who you should—it's not a hobby—and then uh, also for my avuncular Seth Rogen slash Paul Giamatti uncle, and then for my kind of out there ex circus performing uncle who comes just to give exposition uh-huh. and, and advice, yeah, and points at me very emotionally, and then gets into a taxi and drives away. So Paul Giamatti for all of them. That's amazing. This yeah. is great. I think this he is... could do it all. Ah. and we'll just be called Chris is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it'll be called. I love it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Being John Malkovich puzzle piece we'll buy for your <laughs> life story. There'll be a portal. Yeah. A monkey will come in at some point. No, of course. Well, man, that third act. Mm-hmm. Not even David Lynch as John Ford can save that third act. Wow. That was shock. I was. I mean, I even had knew, known about it, and mm-hmm. I still was shocked. 
and it was real bad. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I just, just I, I, I liked the movie as I watched it, and then as the days have gone on, I've just grown a simmering hatred for the Fablemans. Wow. Yep. Well, that's, uh, I think, a good place to wrap it up, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I, <we're... laughs> hope, I hope I'm the most negative. Yeah, I think you probably are. Uh, where can people find you and your work? So uh, you can go to chriscranock.com, K-R-S-K-R-A-I-N-O-C-K.com. It's kind of the mecca of all of my film stuff. You can look at the play that I have going on right now, which is getting produced in France, called L'Imposteur. And we're also making a feature-length version of that movie uh, in France next year, which is super exciting. And of course, the whole Bizarro Fantastico stuff you guys have heard me talk about for sound feels like eons. Yeah. Uh, that movie is still touring festivals and will be available soon on some streamers. So you can find me at my website and just anywhere online as well. Just put my name in and see all kinds of stuff. Awesome. And I look forward to that biopic. That's going to be oh, a, a really good one. Chris is great starring Paul Giamatti in 10 uh, roles. Yes. It's like kind of Charlie Kaufman thing. It's yeah. kind of like... Uh, Anomalisa with uh, Tom Noonan as everybody. This movie is, uh, like, for me, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got Michael Keane back with us, and we're going to talk The Fablemans. Michael, how's it going? Oh, it's going okay. It's going okay. It's been a long time. Um, yeah. Last time on the podcast, I, uh, I remember I, I, fu- I fudged. I can't remember. Can you curse on this puck? Is this a is this a, you, an effort? You, you can say fudge or you could say fuck whatever you want. Fuck yeah, brah. All right, <laughs> I fucked up last like the like fifteen years ago that I was on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I remember I mistook uh, the director of and I I just forgot the name of the movie, but uh, I took Jean Roland and I mixed him with another filmmaker, and it's haunted me ever mm. since. I'm pretty sure my uh, my one-star reviews on Apple Podcasts are all because of that, so thank you. for <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I am yeah. usually the the impetus for one-star reviews um, <laughs> per my movies. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I was really happy you were uh, down to do this one. I mean, you know, this being all filmmakers, we, we got a, a wide range of filmmakers, but you and your special brand of filmmaking. Like, I, you know, I love what you do and it's uh, definitely a little different from some of the other guys that I got on this. And so I, I certainly wanted to get your take on this um, before we get to a little bit of that. Are you a big Spielberg fan? I mean, that, that's such kind of a loaded question because he's made so many things over the years that we all kind of grew up with, but how do you feel about him? Well, I think with Spielberg and this, ha- this opens with like any filmmaker who, you know, has seen a lot of success, has become an icon of sorts, has mm-hmm. become, you know, anyone who, any filmmaker who sort of defines the medium for a lot of people, you know, you have always have like, oh, you're going to be the next Spielberg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, you know, anyone who finds out you're a director, oh, Mr. Spielberg, you yeah, know, it's the, yeah, new, sure. it's the new Mr. DeMille. <laughs> um, but I think that that brings with it a certain level of backlash. Um, yeah. That's kind of just this like contrarian thing. Um, James yeah. Cameron gets this a lot. Oh, for sure. But uh, that all that is to say, uh, I ain't no contrarian bitch. So <laughs> no, I, I I like Spielberg quite a bit. I don't uh, I don't always love his work. I'm not like you know constantly rewatching everything. But part mm. of that is because I rewatched so many of his movies uh, as, as a youngster. Sure. Uh, so many of his so many of his pictures I, I rewatched as a youngster. Yeah. And um, so I certainly a bigger fan as a youth. If only because, you know, it was more inspiring and it was, you know, my um, the breadth of my film watching was so much smaller. But, you know, I mean, he made fucking Jaws. <laughs> right. He made E.T. Yeah. 
he made all these movies that you know um both traumatized and inspired the youth um or had a hand in them i mean poltergeist you know whatever you want to say about that but at very least produced by spielberg very spielberg touch um he's affected so many filmmakers i mean jj abrams has made a career off of mostly copying steven spielberg yeah I, i love his movies overall i think that I don't, I don't remember how many movies he's made, but, you know, I would say that a good 85 to 90 percent are really solid or at very least extremely entertaining. I mean, I, I would even go a lot, of, a lot of people shit on Hook. I, I Hook was a big part of my childhood. Yeah. Um, so that's one where I'm, you know, very biased. But I still even with Hook, like I look at it and I say, you know, it's very silly and a lot of it's really stupid, but <laughs> it's full of whimsy. And yeah. it's beautifully shot, and Dustin Hoffman puts in a performance, and like, mm. yeah, I'll take sure, yeah, cool. Like, I love, I love that Spielberg is he comes off as this very, very truthful filmmaker, despite being, you know, what seventy something years old and still making movies and being a fucking, you know, being worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, he still has a certain. Um, like optimism to his yeah. work. Well, I think that's why so many people connect with it is because of that yeah. optimism. It really is just like the most like populist thing possible, like where everybody is going to connect and that's, you know, part of it. But it, you said truthful. And I mean, that is this being, you know, an autobiographical film about not only his family, but his getting into filmmaking in the first place. I mean, what what did you think about this movie in terms of the filmmaking aspect? You know, obviously this super episode's all filmmakers. Like, what did you think about young Sammy Fableman, aka Spielberg, uh, picking up the camera and uh, learning learning the trade? Did 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 that mirror any of your uh, experiences? Well, I didn't touch film until I was in college. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, um, motion picture film. Uh, obviously, I, I I'm old enough to have grown up. Uh, taking pictures on film but sure uh i uh so i didn't really get like the full you know quintessential you know through a beautiful filter blue and orange uh, childhood of uh, experimenting with eight millimeter and what have you sadly Mm -hmm. and most of my the the weird the thing the the, i think the disconnect with a film like like a, a story like this and someone my age is because I grew up with Spielberg and because I grew up, you know, after that, you know, um, the new wave and the, uh, what was the word used for Spielberg and his friends for, for, for like that, uh, generation they had, like, of their American own, they, like they had their own like version of the rat pack. Um, right. Right. But, uh, since I grew up with those, you know, it, there was this feeling of, you know, filmmaking as a dream based on watching these movies, uh, from people who had already kind of like, burst through these boundaries of the Hollywood system. And so, you know, that doesn't really exist for a lot of us anymore. It's very unlikely to get that a similar experience. But that said, uh, I definitely had that uh, initial interest in film where I was like, how the fuck does that work? (laughs) Yeah, I want to do that. I want to I want to I want to piece this together. I think that 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 initial you know, the way that he looks at the world, the way that you see, you know, he sees that scene of the train in The Greatest Show on Earth, which I love. Mm-hmm. The, I love that so many people are going to try to watch The Greatest Show on Earth. Mm-hmm. Be like, ah, oh, this movie's going to blow my fucking mind. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's a, 
lot of circus. Oh boy. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the way that he takes that and he gets the model train and, and he's like trying to, you know, recreate it and he can't quite figure it out. And then his mom gives him the camera and suddenly he realizes, Oh, it's, it's, it's editing. It's multiple shots. It's, you know, putting the camera down low and like the oncoming train. Like that's really brilliant. And I mean, obviously based on his stories, this is just what happened basically. Sure. Yeah. You know, it is a very universal thing to, or not universal, but universal amongst filmmakers, I guess. Sure. Uh, sure. To be trying to break down how that works. You know, that's always, that's still how I think is just like, okay, well, how can I, you know, now it's, it's, you know, it's less uh, sanguine. It's, it's more, uh, you know, how, how can I, you know, zoom into this, this, this pussy as she's just <laughs> fingering her clit and uh, really just make it kind of ethereal and dreamlike. <laughs> um, but it's the same basic idea as young, young Sammy. With yeah, the sure. Um, <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. 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 But, so I, I, I quite liked it. I quite liked it. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, you know, as far as that uh, trying new things and trying, you know, different ways to come up with these film effects. I mean, even myself as a music composer, like I'm always trying, uh, you know, different things with music to try to come up with new ideas and, and figure out how some of the artists that I love, you know, were able to do things. And uh, I, I think that spirit comes across in, you know, what you do and what a lot of filmmakers do in that, you know, you have to be constantly searching for that and that is you know part of the exciting thing about this film like i'll just say like i like the filmmaking aspects much more than the family aspects of the film i i felt like all of that especially once we get into uh, his high school years i i really love those parts of the story uh more so than the parents and the uncle and the monkey and all that although it's still spielberg and it's still fun but yeah, I, I'm going back to your metaphor though, and uh, still laughing in my head. <laughs> so. Well, I, I uh, you know, I like the family stuff, but I'm also a child of divorce, so that might mm -hmm. be um, child of divorce, and I have a three year old, so yeah. like that that all hit. Honestly, like I saw a few takes from the film that were very negative, and mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very it's a very subjective. I mean, all film is subjective, but this is a very subjective film. Sure, and. You know, it hit all the right notes for me because it was dealing with family, it was dealing with divorce, um, it was, you know, dealing with high school bullying. Um, mm. That was something I dealt with. I think every every artist, I feel like, yeah, sure. dealt with high school. <laughs> it's almost like there's some kind of trauma we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, of course, the you know, the getting into film thing. And so the whole film was just like hitting me at all these little little bits and bobs. Like even like I think my favorite thing and this kind of ties in with your favorite um i think is that whole high school arc with the bullies and him making the film and turning whatever the fuck his name was the bully uh yeah. into the hero of the film i love that i loved i, I love that the whole film was kind of about editing is about yeah. coverage and editing and i love that you know like with the divorce thing um i think it's also why i like the divorce aspect is uh, the way that he shows his mom, like that whole like build up to that moment, is also really strong, and of course mirrors the um, the high school bit. Yeah, where he takes okay, well I have this footage, and my dad wants this really happy film to cheer up mom, but then I also have all this other footage that's the deeper meaning behind everything, and I can make a whole other movie out of that because they're two different tones that are being developed out of the same footage. 
yeah. and then of course you know with the uh, he then like he then perfects that um with the high school footage uh with the uh, the summer the, the senior skip day footage and says okay well this is clearly the hero for this occasion you know this is the story that needs to be told based on what i have uh and what i'm seeing and he more directs it at that point you know he's not getting it by mistake he's actually like going after it when he i, sure. I do wish i think that there is a level of like spielberg trying to surprise us with the footage that does negate a bit of the showing how he developed as a filmmaker because mm. i don't know that like i think we and i'd have to rewatch it maybe i'm fucking completely off base but uh i feel like in that scene uh the montage of him doing the filming at the beach we don't really see like we see a little bit of the bully doing his thing and we see him like running the race. We see Spielberg seeing that, but it's not it doesn't feel like it's really harped on quite enough mm. to really like hammer home the idea in the minds of the audience. Um, like obviously anyone who's an editor is going to see it. Anyone who's a filmmaker is going to see it. But it's I don't uh, I don't 100 percent know that it really works that people are picking up on it like yeah like a general audience perspective right to, like obviously and, and it you know the emotional crescendo when it happens is enough to come make up for that i don't think it's really a, like a negative for the right. film but it's one of those things that like i i like when he's in the um on the camping trip it's more obvious it's more apparent that there is something else going on and then yeah. he picks it apart and we're kind of ahead of him like when when he has that realization Sure. And it's treated like this big, oh, 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 I think most of us were like, well, yeah, they're, 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 they're fuck. They're, well, they're not fucking, they're, 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 I don't know, grinding on each other or whatever, <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in the back of the woods. Whereas with the high school stuff, it's more, well, I want to surprise you. I think that surprise maybe, you know, handicaps the build up a little bit, but it's not a big, it's just one of those things that stuck out. Um, but, mm -hmm. uh, and overall, I love, like, I don't really have any, actual complaints with the movie other than i don't really like the blue and gold look of modern spielberg yeah um, they, they, he has kind of settled into a look these last yeah I, I i prefer things to look a little bit more natural mm -hmm. uh, and on one hand i mean this is this whole film is a memory uh you know and you kind of take it as vignettes from this youngster's eyes sure and so it makes sense for it to be stylized a little bit but i do feel like a little bit more naturalism or just a different look would be yeah. really helpful. Yeah. But that's really my only serious issue. I could see that. Let's get into some puzzle pieces here. Uh, what do you have as far as puzzle pieces? Anything that uh, came to mind with this one? Well, um, I mean, obviously the greatest show on earth. I'm sure someone brought that up already. Uh, Cause it's right there in the fucking text. Uh, yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> which I do. I do. I, I was I'm assuming that's the, the do you know if that's what Spielberg actually saw as a kid that like I like, don't brought that up I don't and I know that um one of the guests on this episode David Mike got to uh see a screening with Spielberg there who was answering questions I'm gonna have to ask him if maybe he brought that up at, at that screening yeah I'd be very curious because that's a very specific thing because I mean like it's called the greatest show on earth mm -hmm. like which is one of the best aspects of that movie yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't mean to shit on Cecil B. DeMille, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know if that was that's true or not, but it's a very smart thing to do because obviously you have the train. Great idea. 
Um, great way of explaining editing in a very sh- like short way. Like I like honestly, this should be taught in film school. It not yeah. for its quality, which is you know pretty great, but just the way that Spielberg acts as a teacher is so good. Um, yeah. But I would say that I mean the obvious one is or the other obvious one is eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, because of, is that something that someone someone else already took? It, it kind of came up in conversation, but it wasn't actually a puzzle piece. So that's okay. That's I'll take that. Then. I'll take it. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's you know it's it's not the same time period because Fellini's talking about his you know quote unquote eight and a half film because he co-directed uh i can't remember the fucking movie but um co-directed one and then did seven others so this is his eight and a half film mm-hmm. so obviously this is mid-career and the fableman's ends beginning of like pa career sure uh so very different but they both deal with the childhood of the director and do so in a somewhat fantastical way uh through vignettes uh so i would say eight and a half uh, which is a bit of a stock answer, but honestly, I was kind of stoned watching <laughs> the Fableman, so I didn't really yeah. think about this at all. Yeah, I also sure. think that it's so it's so indebted to Spielberg's career. Uh, yeah. I think E.T. is a really great puzzle piece that I'm sure has already been brought up. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much within his career that keeps coming up in these conversations. It's like, clearly, this is you know inspired by everything that he's been exploring through his career at, at various aspects. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, maybe, uh, let's, let's, uh, uh, just so you have like a, a gonzo weirdo puzzle piece in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say, uh, furious seven. <laughs> uh, well, well, how does this one connect? Cause it's about family. <laughs> Done. Perfect. I love it. That's great. That's uh, great. I just, I, yeah, I, I already don't think in like the way that you think with puzzle pieces, mm. but this yeah. one was especially like, well, it's, it's Spielberg. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can't figure it, out how to fit Sullivan's fucking travels into this fucking, in, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that will work. It absolutely works. Well, you know, I, I'm finishing up all these conversations asking my guests, you know, as filmmakers, if you were to make a movie based on your own life. Do you have any like castings in mind that would work for any uh, key family members? Well, I thought about this a bit. Um, the first one that came to mind was actually my father because I, so I didn't actually, I met my father here and there when I was like really little. So mm-hmm. I have like vague recollections, which could easily be de-aged these days with our, yes. with our technology. Sure. So, to play my father when I finally meet and have a conversation with him as an adult uh, in Florida, uh, which my my dad is a very Florida man, mm. uh, Billy Bob Thornton, uh, oh. I think a little nice. he's a little shorter than my dad, but uh, my dad's like six foot five or something ridiculous. But Billy Bob with some with some some heels on, I think yeah. would, would play my dad, nice. uh, and then we'll just de-age him, you know, put some fucking dots on his face or whatever and sure uh for the flashbacks and then for my mom i honestly uh i don't know i mean i feel like we all want like fucking you know oh shoot what's i i i I was so i was coming in for a landing and i just i it turned into (laughs) die hard too uh who's the actress in in fablemans um who plays Uh, michelle williams Michelle williams uh i always get her and carrie mulligan mixed up i know yeah so but i feel like i feel like we all after this would like michelle williams to be our weird mentally ill mother uh 
So I'll say Carrie Mulligan. I think Carrie Mulligan plays my mom. There you go. Yeah. It, why not? Might as well just get her in both of these movies. Let's do it. But uh, yeah, those are good ones. That, that's great. Billy Bob is a, uh, he's awesome. But um, yeah, this was great, Michael. Uh, where can people find you and your work? Um, well, I'm, I'm on YouTube. Uh, I do a lot of YouTubing uh, in between all my other work. I, I mostly work for like making Blu-ray extras now. I edit a lot. So I, it's, I'm, a, I'm just a sad man in an office. But you can find my YouTube on, on YouTube. Uh, it's, You're uh, working just, on a new film right now, right? Yeah. Um, so you can find me on YouTube. at just search Michael Keane. And if it's not the guitarist, it's probably me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm working on a new film called Dr. Deathface. Uh, the trailer for that, I don't know if I put that on the manatee part. I have a, my company is called Manatee Party. We have a YouTube channel for that. I actually don't know if I put the trailer on that channel. It'll get there eventually. Sure. Either which way. Uh, if you <laughs> yeah. look up Dr. Deathface trailer, you can you can find it. But we, uh, we're almost done with that. It's uh, like any movie that I make. It's a been fucking chaos and i you know just want to blow my brains out but uh got that coming out i have two previous movies fatal future and the head the head is on tubi and trauma now uh like plex if you use plex uh and then the fatal future is literally on my youtube channel because i no one fucking wants to put that out um someone might i don't fucking know i got i just didn't care enough so i i put it on my youtube channel um yeah. Throw it so on the box that's head eventually. that's my movies. Uh, got more coming along. We're we're building up a, a catalog of smut and bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. Which uh, you know, it's 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 not Steven Spielberg, but I will always, in some way, be influenced by him, even if it's just taking, you know, the opening of Saving Private Ryan and applying it to a fuck scene. <laughs> Somewhere in there, he'll show up, I'm sure. And there will be those puzzle pieces in my own work. Love it. Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decada. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decada, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed those conversations about the Fablemans. Thank you to my guests, and I will put links in the show notes. Please go check them out. Uh, Check out some of their work. Most of them, like I said, uh, I have collaborated with in the past on films. So, you know, check out some of that stuff. I, even with Chris Johnson, put out an entire soundtrack album, Beater, the original motion picture soundtrack. So lots of films, lots of stuff to check out. So, uh, yeah, check the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And don't forget about our Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, as well as awesome movie year, and from my music career. Speaking of my music career, remember, if you made it this far into the episode on December 2nd, the day that I put it out, it is Bandcamp Friday and my new album, More Content, just went up for pre-order, but today is the best possible day to pre-order it. But of course, if you pre-order it tomorrow or next week, I 
appreciate that too if you buy it down the road that's awesome too if you just stream it on spotify when it comes out on december 30th i appreciate that too so thank you for being out there and for listening let's close the episode with a piece of my music as we always do and you know whenever things get very dewy on this podcast i i do like to dip into my old uh jewish comedy rap group fakakta uh, I don't play this stuff very often, but, um, you know, it fits when we're talking about such Jewish topics. So this is a song called The Ten Commandments from our album Lock Stars. So uh, it's it's filthy and offensive. So uh, turn the episode off now if you don't want that. And uh, otherwise, enjoy it. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon. You know how I love a big circumcised boner chilling with Moses original stoner. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go, motherfucker. Let my people go! What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments all over the town with the Ten Commandments. What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments all over the town with the Ten Commandments. I hear everybody chanting, raving and ranting about these ten motherfucking gangsta ass commandments. Sensor sex is what I got a problem. Still a killer cheating and fucking without him Jewish they will be nothing But number five a job is live word to God That a mama wouldn't be a gangsta rapper without a job Remembering the Sabbath? Man that's no problem Cause I got paranoid and I'm man on my iPod But using the name God wrong Let's just hope he never listens to this motherfucking goddamn song And as for making an auto, I don't know why he be bitching Even my mama has a statue enshrining me in the kitchen And the rest is simple man, easy as pie I like spotting a goy by the way he pronounces the word high Plenty of Jews done told the story of the ten Moses, Mel Brooks, David Wayne, and now we're doing it again. What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments all over the town with the Ten Commandments. What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments all over the town with the Ten Commandments. It's Fakakta rocking on the top of a mountain. I saw Moses over there. He was screaming and shout, hacking at these tablets and swallowing pills. He was high on more than life. On that hill. You know he kept it real, he really blew my mind And that night we partied like it was 5769 Yeah, that night with Moses, nothing could have been better Then I headed to 7-Eleven for some Slim Jim beef and cheddar What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments All over town with the Ten Commandments What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments All over the town with the Ten Commandments G-Rock, the dead CMC, steady chillin' with a cocktail, living life for free. Smoking splits with Moses, coaching THC. Yo, these bushes, yo, they burn for me. Out of all my Jewish heroes, Moses was the best, and I got more guns than Charlie Heston. Let's break the shit down like a stolen car, cause you know I'm just a rule-breaking superstar. Number one, I, I am, am the Lord, Lord your, your God. God. Lord of what? Lord of the dance? Lord of your pants? No Simon Cowell's breaking number two. Making idols like the golden calf is how he do. Oh God, oh God! Break Number three, Ethel shouts hey, his name when hey, she gets down hey, with me. Hey, Saturday night, you know I do it my way. Amendment number four, just don't know how to partay. Hey. 
and mother I'm down with that Sonny your rich gave me the money to record this track Jewish Dave over here is breaking number six Killing suckers with his rhymes and his big black dick Yo it's G-Rock, I'm breaking number seven Yeah you give all those housewives a slice of heaven um, See Ethel's been breaking number eight for a while Because you know she'll steal your heart and then she'll throw it in the Nile Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor What the fuck is this? Tenth commandment don't mean much to my life The neighbors in foreclosure and divorce and his wife We're not sending plagues apart in the Red Sea We just trying to be the best kites we can be There you have it, that was the Big Ten I hope you listen closely cause we're not gonna do it again What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments All over town with the Ten Commandments What the fuck's up with the Ten Commandments? What's going down with the Ten Commandments? Moses was preaching the Ten Commandments All over the town with the Ten Commandments What the fuck's up? What's going down? West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.